You are listening to Making It in the Toy Industry, episode number 33. Welcome to Making It in the Toy Industry, a podcast for inventors and entrepreneurs like you. And now your host, Ajel Wade. Before jumping into today's episode, I want to tell you all about something super special that I've got in the works. Now, this is for you if you're in love with learning with me on this podcast and you have an amazing toy or game idea that you want to create and monetize. In September, I will be opening the doors for you to register for my online digital course, Toy Creators Academy. Now, if you've already joined the email list, then go you. You are ahead of the game and I can't wait to serve you when the doors open up. Toy Creators Academy is going to teach you how to develop your toy ideas and turn them into a toy business. So if you'd love a little more toy inspiration from me and a whole lot of guidance, then head over to toycreatorsacademy.com and join the early access list. If you're on that list, you are going to be among the first to know when the doors open and to top it all off, you are going to get the opportunity to join the course at an incredible rate that no one else will get, not even my regular toy coach insiders. So if you've got a few great toy ideas inside of you and you want to turn those ideas into a toy business, head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn even more. Okay, let's jump into the episode. Hey there, toy people, Ajel Wade here, and welcome back to another episode of Making It in the Toy Industry. So a little while ago, I was watching a new show on Netflix called Abstract, The Art of Design. Now, of course, I jumped straight to the episode of the series that focused on toy design, and it was here where I discovered and was completely inspired by Cass Holman. She is the founder and principal designer at the independent toy company, Heroes Will Rise. She is also an educator at the Rhode Island School of Design, some of you might know it as RISD, in the industrial design program. Now, some of her most popular product lines today, you might know them, it's Rigamajig and Gmo. Now, these are both award-winning designs. But what I love about Cass is that she believes in toys designed for free play, meaning that they're designed with the intended experience in mind instead of the intended outcome. Now, Cass has been featured in Surface Mag, The New Yorker, Fast Company, Netflix, and today I am so excited to say that Cass Holman is a guest on this show. Welcome to the show, Cass. Hi, thank you for having me, Ajal. It's super exciting. I'm and really... thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm I'm very flattered. Well, I and, did my and best. And always happy to inspire. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm really excited that to have you on the show. And I mean, I don't know if my listeners haven't already seen the Netflix episode, you should probably watch it maybe before this interview and then come back to this interview because you'll be even more impressed. Um, but I would love you to just start off and give a history on your backstory. How did you come to become a toy designer? I mean, in my mind, uh, while it's absolutely not maybe the most um, typical of paths to be a toy designer, it makes perfect sense to me. My background, my undergraduate studies uh, were in uh, feminist theory and fine art sculpture, which in my mind, that makes perfect sense that, uh, you know, advocating for children and designing toys and thinking about how design might um, 
impact our future. So that feels absolutely in line with with uh, feminist theory and and sculpture. So, uh, you know, I I um, I had I had to kind of get a lot of adventure out of my way to figure out what it was that um, I would focus on. In life, I would choose to focus on one thing um, because I do have a really broad uh, set of interests and always have. And um, I spent a year and a half uh, when I uh, was 20 years old um, in the Galapagos Islands working for a scientist chasing iguanas and sailing a boat around Um and kind of, you know, as much as I loved the chasing iguanas, I realized that maybe, you know, the, the, the data collecting and scientific process in general was not maybe my magic, doing something the same way a number of times I was not very good at. <laughs> so while I caught a lot of iguanas, I, um, I, my data was usually a mess. <laughs> so um, I thought, all right, well, this has, been, this has been great, but maybe I need to kind of go and keep exploring. Um, and I was a chef for many years. Actually, I was a, a pastry chef for three years and a short order cook for a number of years as I was going to kind of put my through, myself through undergrad. Um, and I loved cooking. I loved working in kitchens, um, in part because you kind of start and finish something every 30 seconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Is that, that true? Really I didn't know fun. that. Kind of, yeah, especially as a short order cook. And, and, um, and, it, and it's, um, you know, and it's fun and and in a strange way, way more so than what I do now, there are kind of right or there were right and wrong answers, right? I mean, an egg yeah. is over yes. is either over easy, over medium, over hard. Mm-hmm. It is what it is, and when yeah. it's done, it's done. You put the plate in the uh, out, and it's <laughs> gone forever. Whereas now, you know, my work is about there not being right and wrong answers. I never know when something's done. Even when something goes into production, we start selling it. I always feel like I could keep improving it and keep working on it. So, um, but it, it was when I was uh, about 28 years old and I had been working for um, a really wonderful company in San Francisco uh, called CRI. They, they were a Herman Miller dealer. So that was when I was kind of getting more and more into design. And kind of realized like, oh, hey, design might be a way that I could bring together my art and, you know, my interest in kind of having some kind of positive impact. And um, was also starting to notice more as my kids had friends um, that, 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 that I was shocked at how gendered the toys still were. I really, I, I guess I thought you know, by the nine, by the 1990s, mm, it's <laughs> still know, gendered. Remember, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I was shocked. I thought, this, wait, what? No, we don't, you know, and, and granted I had kind of been in a bit of a bubble. I was in, um, went to school in Santa Cruz and was living in San Francisco where a lot of those gender stereotypes had kind of already been blown up. So realizing that, that, the mass market was still following a lot of antiquated rules about, you know, who we're supposed to be, um, was a, was a bit of a, um, an eye opener. So when I, um, I went back to grad school at the Cranbrook Academy of Art and, and studied design and, and had my studio practice in design and kind of was focusing on interactive sculptures and more and more, um, objects and things that would, 
have kind of abstract identities to inspire imagination um, and found that that was something in particular that I felt like the toy industry um, lacked was opportunities for children to um, invent the story, right? I was seeing a lot of licensed products and a lot of kind of characters. And I thought, well, why aren't we letting the kids invent the character in the story, you know? Um, and then even in that, why can't it be something that's like not a person or a truck? Why can't, you know, why can't it be something that their imagination can engage and they can decide? Um, and even going back to, you know, reading about Carolyn Pratt and the beauty of the basic building block that, that a, a, a cube or a, um, a block of wood can become a whale or a car or a person or a brick um, and kind of serve the imagination of the child rather than the imagination serving the story of that object. So that I think was where I really discovered, you know, my, my interest and my, my drive and, and maybe in a way like my, my magic where, where the things I was really interested in kind of came together. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of worked from there. So since 2001, 2002, I've been, um, designing around those same kind of principles and the same goals. How, like, I'm so curious, like, how did you find the places that would accept that form of design and that philosophy? Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of didn't, (laughs) (laughs) the, um, the because I was I was um, kind of always like I've, I've been on the edges and outskirts and places where it's not quite art, it's not quite design. Is yeah, it a toy? It's kind is of it a art. sculpture? Yeah, um, that's that served me well because I I I I find those um, categories to be very limiting in and um, in what a thing can be, and they don't like they don't relate to what children need. They relate to what a market needs. Right. And I don't, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to design for a market. I want to design for children. Right. I don't want to design for a shelf or a hook on a wall, um, or a category of a website. So I've always kind of had a hard time when, and, and I do periodically need to fit my work into these categories because I understand, right. Like, especially with the internet, like we need to be able to, um, you know, put things in the, in. So, um, I, I would say that the, you know, the moment, the, the confidence of having GMO launch at the MoMA went a long way for me. And, and the MoMA being the museum of modern arts, uh, store and GMO launched there. And, you know, we had a very funny, I had a conversation with their buyers about categories because in the store, it's just kind of everything is everything. It's a little bit of, you know, jewelry with jewelry and housewares with housewares. But, but there, it, it, you know, the, all of the toys are pretty unique. And, you know, but they, for the sake of the website, needed to know, is it an executive desk toy? Is it a building toy? Is it a creative toy? You know, and, and so it was, that was kind of the first time I kind of really had to to <laughs> decide in a way. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea. You know, and I thought, well, what if, can we put it in uncategorized? And they said, sure, but you know, um, 
just in terms of clicks, people it won't, yeah, for search, it yeah, won't do well. People yeah. go to mm-hmm. construction toys, whatever, a hundred thousand times yeah. a day. And, and in other, we get 10 and I was like, right. Construction toy it is. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I wanted to ask about Gmo cause you said you had an opportunity to license it and yeah. you didn't do that. Do you regret that? Um, I regret not trying harder to help the licensor understand the value of not giving it a, a face. Oh, they, oh, the licensor was the one who wanted to give it the face. I thought yeah. there were two different people. There, well, there were a few. So I had a few different opportunities with, with GMO and, um, and, and one was just, you know, like, could it be part of the MoMA store collection? And that, uh, would have been wonderful, but I, I worried that, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't get to shop at the MoMA. So we didn't know what the MoMA was, you know? And so that felt to me like it was going to be kind of an exclusive thing that wouldn't be very widely, um, available, which, which, you know, I don't know if that's completely true. I think that they have a, they have a, a, a broad reach now, but at the time, anyway, it, it felt like I, I wanted it to have a, a broader reach and I wanted to have opportunities to, to get it into schools and things. And, um, and so, you know, at that point I took it to the market myself. And then once I kind of had it going and it was, you know, uh, selling and, and people got a lot of interest then a few people wanted to kind of buy it from me, but all of them did want to transition it into this character, or wanted to make it into a game where it could kind of be a puzzle. The, the lack of instructions was a, was a problem for the potential partners. Um, and, and usually if you license an idea, like you do kind of relinquish quite a bit of control. And I, it just didn't, I, it didn't make any sense. And I also kind of felt like, um, again, I, I, I wanted it on, I wanted it uh, on the market as it was right like i and of course like i i'm willing to make changes and and i knew like maybe it needs to get a little smaller or the magnets won't be as strong or you know okay fine we'll use we'll we will add some colors but here's how the colors will work um and and i did this actually with a partner in japan who was wonderful and and most of most of gmo sales happened in japan um, through this distribution partner who was great and, and worked with schools and we did make some colored versions and it was like the, we made a point of making it not a puzzle. Right. Yeah, so there was yeah. no kind of right or wrong no way. Right or wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. My, I think that my introduction to the toy industry happened through a lot of conversations about GMO, um, really? which was funny because it was, it was toy industry people who kind of had heard or had read about that. It, this was this great, interesting thing. Um, and I feel like they, they could tell they were interested in it and they thought this is really, this is quite, quite brilliant actually, but we're just not, we, we don't know what to do with it. Right. You know, they, they were like, we don't know where to place like, it, how to market it, how yeah, to price again, it. They don't even know how to price it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, so, so without it being kind of a game or a bill. So, um, yeah, so that was, I think, kind of actually how I got to know the toy industry and then going to toy fairs with it was, was like very, very informative. <laughs> what ha- Wait, I want to know what happened. How was it received? Well, the, the, you know, the two big toy fairs, the New York toy fair yeah. and the Nuremberg toy fair. In Nuremberg, it was a giant hit. And Yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah. And people loved it. And, you know, we sold we picked up a lot of, um, uh, part, 
I, I never got, we got a lot of kind of orders, but, but no distribution per se, in part because since I was manufacturing at a pretty small scale um, and it was manufactured in Japan, um, the, you know, I had a hard time getting the cost. I couldn't get the quantities high enough to get the cost low enough. And I just, I, I was paying for everything with, um, a, a job. Like I still had a job that was right. paying for the passion project. Right. Right. Um, but I learned so much through the entire process, um, that I'm, I'm really glad that I did it that way because everything I learned about that, you know, uh, or everything I learned in that process related so much to imagination playground. And then from there related to rigamajig. And so mm-hmm. it's been like, you wouldn't have been informed. able to grow in that way. If you had just like relinquished it to somebody and they did all the legwork, you wouldn't have known what you didn't know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, Oh, complete and underestimated yeah. packaging, right. underestimated <laughs> the sales. You know, I was like, package How heavy, that just delivers it. Right. That's just to get it from the store to your house, you know. Yeah. Like, ah, no. <laughs> I okay. So the the main reason I wanted to have you on today is because I'm in the the I don't know what we would call it. I don't want to say I don't know the standard toy industry, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. It, I feel like where you work or or where you get to work is more. It's almost art meets mm-hmm. toys meets mm-hmm. like I don't know psychological. I don't know. It's it's different. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to come on and talk about your thought process, like your design process, and maybe teach it to some of my listeners. Because I believe that, like, I believe that the toy industry is really limited right now. And Mm -hmm. I, my goal is to get uh, people that are interested in joining the toy industry to realize that it's not that closed off anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. there is an entry point and I want to show them where it is. But while I do that, I get worried because I see them coming in with these really great fresh ideas and then they're trying so hard to fit it into Mm -hmm. a box that they might lose some of what Mm -hmm. makes it special. So I I would just love to talk about, you know, how you get inspired for new ideas, how you look at play, how you watch children, like just talk a little bit about your philosophy. Um, well, I would... Uh, I mean, my, I, by, by starting Heroes Will Rise, I kind of usurped the, the need to fit my designs into known toy categories, right? And that was no accident. Um, like I, I, and, and increasingly, and, and with each round, actually, like with Rigamajig, I tried really, I, you know, I talked to a few different companies and said like, Hey, do you want to license this? And, and a little similar to GMO, but, a, but, but different because I think that they Rigamajig was, um, maybe a little more, it was just easier to understand. Like they, you see Rigamajig and you see the photos or the videos of kids using it. And they were like, wow, this is incredible. However, this is really expensive for a learning material, really inexpensive for a playground. It's like requires all kinds of like, I don't know, is there professional development for teachers? It's just like, it's a, it's kind of a system rather than just like a thing. Right. So again, back to if they're, if they're a market-based company rather than a like child centered or play or education based company, they're not going to take the time to figure out how to sell it. Right. And so, um, so we've had to do that kind of with everything that I've designed because it's not, 
it's like I design based on what would be great for kids, you know, and then that doesn't always like necessarily that that's not how the market was. Designed. Yeah. It's not <laughs> but, what they want to see. Well, it's just not, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, and on the one hand, it's an easy sell because it is a great product. On the other hand, it's a hard sell because it's weird. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you know, but back to like kind of ad- advice on, on how to design the, the thing, uh, I don't look at the, I don't really look at the toy industry for inspiration. I mean, the toy, to be honest, like when I go to the toy fair, I find it really depressing. Right. I'm like, this is what we think um, kids need, you yeah. know, like, and it's so clear that it it just feels disrespectful to humans. <laughs> I, I don't think that, you know, on, it's a good, good point you're saying. I don't think people yeah. are thinking this is what kids need. Yeah. Mo- the majority. Go, I don't want to say yeah. everyone, a majority. Like, go to a public park to be inspired. Watch I used children to do that. Yeah. Don't go into a toy store to get inspiration yes. to design for children. That's when not- I first started in the industry, I remember going to, you know, that statue in um in Central Park with Alice in Wonderland. Oh yes, yeah. And yeah I would yeah. just sit there like a creeper and just yeah, yeah. like yeah. with my notebook watching kids yeah. play. Take is that what you do or did or yes, you no, know? I mean I and I still do. And and mm-hmm. actually um and this is included in the documentary um the the crew went with me to um China to to see Anji Play School. Yes, I saw that. And mm-hmm. in Anji Play Schools, the which I think is the most ideal model of education, um it's completely play-based and totally child-directed and incredible. And the role of the teacher is observer. So there's not the assumption that that children learn from us. Children learn by exploring and playing and they learn from each other. And the teacher observes, right? And so the teacher becomes observer and pays really close attention to what the children are doing so that they can then a learn from the children and then ask them questions about what they were doing and like the the kind of what is the driving curiosity behind why you were rolling a tire up that ladder onto the slope and then down you know so um but point but back to the 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 kind of central to all my all of the toys or products or objects that I design are tools for children to design with, right? So I want to give them things that they can use to make their own stories and make their own toys. And so with Rigamajig, if that day they like, they want to work through, you know, something that's going on at home, maybe they're going to build a little fort and, and, you know, have their friends go through and negotiate this and they'll rebuild it and do it again. Or maybe they, um, you know, maybe they need to do something a little smaller scale and like, so they'll use it to make uh, a creature and play with the creature. So it's, it, it can be what they need it to be. And I think part of that also is that when children have that experience, they, they are, they begin and are more fluent in trusting their own inspiration and their own drive to play in a way that they need to be playing. Right. So play is how as children, like it's how they're working out all of the, we are, we know about play therapy and, and of course, like in play, we learn how to negotiate all of the collaborative things. We learn conflict resolution. We learn how to share. We learn trial and error. Oh, I did that. It didn't work. Let me try it again. So resilience, like all of these things that come when they're 
able to figure it out and do it themselves. Right. And, and I just don't, um, I, 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 I just don't think we have to give them very, very much, you know, we mostly what we have to give them is, is space and, and trust, right. We have to give them trust. We have to give them quality materials so that they know that they are trusted and they know that they deserve something that's solid and wood and not plastic and hollow and gonna break or already broken, you know, or like it lights up when you shake it. Like who, like I'm not a dog, you know, like why do I need a thing that lights up when I shake it? (laughs) So, so I find like, I think, you know, and again, I think the, the power of observing children is you see how rich the play is and then it's so much, it's much more natural to design with respect. Yeah. I, you know, I think that the way that you talk about design, it's very, um, it's just a lot of restraint because Mm, I think a lot of designers now, I know my friends, like when they're designing something like, Oh, isn't this so cute? And it is cute, but it starts to become an ego thing. Mm -hmm. Like they're designing for themselves. Right. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, what you're talking about designing so that kids get to play or design is, is it's a lot of restraint. Yeah. And it's actually, I think that's much harder in a way. And and I often have to kind of reel it back. Like I'll take something a few steps and then I'll be like, wait, I just designed the critter, this like, this like, you know, dragon head, whatever, like, let me take it a few steps back so that maybe it's a dragon head, but maybe that's a little mountain range, you know? So, so, and that for me is really fun. And that I think goes back to uh, what I was doing in a lot of my sculpture, which is this kind of these like levels of abstraction that inspire imagination and kind of like invite children to in to just to like make up a story with it or or say like oh what is it it's like a curiosity like a curious form right um what is that well it's oh is it this is and then they they're already engaged with this the object and so then then from there they start to like oh how do I use it and then they get to figure out how to use it and there's maybe five ways of using it or more that they just invented how to use it and that for me is when something works right I'm curious, do you find it challenging to make something new when everything you're making is so abstract? You know, with the toy industry is like, oh, last year we made an owl, this year we'll make a unicorn. So it's new, mm-hmm. right? So do, do you find the struggle and how do I know if something is new? What makes something a new product for you? Well, I have, a, I mean, I have a lot of ideas that are kind of waiting to, quite honestly, like it's more about getting the marketing side ready in terms of like design development, we have 20 products in the queue. <laughs> yeah. That are kind of ready to go when the rest of the company catches up. Um, but, uh, I, I don't feel like we need a new thing every year. Like, but, but like, so for example, with Rigamajig, the new, the new products that are coming from Rigamajig are coming from Re- and feedback from teachers and schools saying, you know, we use Rigamajig for um, our simple machine study. Like, are there some parts and pieces that could help that? And then, so then we're like, yes. And then, so then we make gears and some other things that lend themselves to ramps. Or we see a lot of um, uh, carts, children making carts. And, and so then we released a locomotion set that has kind of more axles and some bigger platforms for building onto in different mm. ways. You're just and analyzing how the kids play again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Right, I watch. Yeah. And, and our newest, our newest product is the, um, Rigamajig junior, which is the smaller, um, kind of at home kit. 
And I was seeing um, all over the world, actually, in Anji Play schools. And also I, I got a couple videos kind of out of the blue from uh, a librarian in, somewhere in the U.S. Um, was it Nebraska? And and children had been using Rigamajig Jr. They'd been putting the pieces together and then spinning them. So they were these, they were giant. They were about 18 inches in diameter, sometimes bigger, and spinning them. So they were making these spinning tops. And um, and I thought, oh, well, what if we added some colors? Or what if we added, what can I add that would give them more to experiment with? Like maybe sound. Is there something that when it spins, it might make sound? But, you know, or what patterns... And they put together, so again, how can I help them experiment uh, in these ways that they're already doing, you know? Oh, I love the um, way that you think. Yeah, so the spinning <laughs> tops kit came out, of, came out of that, came out of me seeing like kids are doing this. How can I make that even cooler? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's good. I, I So now that you're talking about how big the tops are, it, it brought me to another question I had when I was watching uh, your episode. Do you worry about safety when you're like, I want to make these big wooden pieces and I want kids to lift them up? And I don't mean um, from your perspective of what's safe. I mean, from the rules and regulations to get it passed. Like, how do you yeah. um, get over that? Yeah. And, and I mean, I also do worry, like as a human who doesn't want to hurt other people. Right. But, uh, <laughs> so, so I worry, I, 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 you know, I think about that. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it was a big, when I first launched it a lot of, I, I took it to the, um, the, the first time I kind of showed it to a large group as a product. So Rigamajig actually launched on the Highline in New York City. Yeah, I know. As a pop-up so cool. playground. So cool. And so I got <laughs> to talk to a lot of people and got a ton of feedback and lots of observing. So when we kind of, it, it, at that point, it was a kind of a one-off, you know. Um, and then I re-engineered it for mass production and and, you know, changed the quantities and figured out worked with other teachers and classrooms and 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 kids to figure out what's the right amount of parts for a class you know what is a kit where does it go on a cart does it have a wall hanging thing so I I'd seen I'd already seen the children first of all a big wooden piece they they again that 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 they know it's it's real and that moment that they feel trusted and they, there's a perceived risk that happens, right? So if you hand a child a noodle, a, a, a foam noodle, they're going to like smack you with it because yeah. that's fun. <laughs> and you, the perceived risk, I know this won't hurt, right? But if you hand them a baseball bat, the same size, but it's wood, like not going to smack you with it. So, you know, just giving them like just that they were, you know, large and wooden, they, they played very differently than they would with plastic or, or, you know, foam or cardboard building blocks. Um, and, and so we saw them and, and this is where the collaboration part is really pretty magic. We saw them run over and gra ask a kid that they didn't know, Hey, will you hold this for me? while I do this oh, other thing. Oh, and so it really so does. And that was, that's part of the design. Like it's Aww. designed so that children need each other because that's guess so what? Great. We're human. Yeah. We need each other. Mm -hmm. Like in my mind, collaboration is like maybe all we have. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, uh, the, the, they play very differently. And the, the, 
the challenge that came up in selling it was that that's teachers and adults don't know that, right? We're not used to thinking like, we don't trust children, right? So we're not used to thinking like, will this be good for them? Will, Mm -hmm. oh yes, this is heavy. Therefore they will ask a friend to help. They're like, oh, this is heavy. Therefore dangerous. They're going to break their eye. Yeah. Yeah. Their eye. the I I spent a lot of time talking to people. The first time that I kind of showed it at a at a big trade fair, um, um, about that, and I I was surprised. And this is of course why it's it's kind of like it's been nice to do it myself because mm-hmm. what I thought I would be talking about I wasn't right. talking about. It also I I spent a lot of time explaining that it was a kit of parts. So I had in my booth kind of set up a few different weird structures and then I had some loose parts laying around. And people said, oh so we we buy a kit that makes this, you know, oh. and they said, no, no, I just made this. You just buy a kit of parts. And they said, and then the kids make this. And I was like, no, no. They make whatever they want. Like people really didn't understand just no, I can imagine materials. it. You're like, oh, you're almost yeah. like a fine artist. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, well, and even trying to understand what they weren't understanding, it was so good for me because, again, like I'm not in marketing. So I was like, oh, okay, I see. So this is what I need. This is how I need to be showing it. This is what I need. To, this is what is not clear, right? Um, and again, back to like, oh, mad respect for marketing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> when I started getting control over the products I was producing in arts and crafts, I would mm-hmm. always like sneak extra components in the kit and they'd be like, why is this kit so expensive? And I'm like, don't worry about it <laughs> because I just wanted like, obviously they're instructions because it's a traditional yeah. made for marketing for to sell yeah. kit. But I wanted there to be extra things so that they could be like, Oh, what if I like also put this in? Right. Or, I just love that. I feel yeah. like they, you know, you want them, you want to give them guidance if they need it, but if they yeah. don't feel like they need it, you want it to be just like fun. Yes. You just yeah. want it to be exploration. I love yeah. that. I, and I, also, I, yeah, go ahead. I, 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 um, on that note, I, 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 almost never have children ask for instructions or say, really? what do I do with it? Almost no. never. But adults, almost always. <laughs> almost always well what do we do with it how do we use it are they doing it wrong what am I supposed to build Where's because we the, forget you know? that the process of them figuring out how to use it is part of the play yeah well and I think as adults we're just less comfortable jumping in and figuring it out because we're like oh, I gotta do it right or like I, I wanted you to talk about your um you called it name by function mm-hmm. and I thought that that was you were teaching that to like your first year industrial design students I think mm-hmm. you said yeah um and I just I would like you to teach that here because I think that's a really good way to approach design for someone just starting out if they want to make something a little bit you know, more in design for kids and more design yeah. for the experience. So name by function basically is that, that in, in design in general, not just toy design, but in design, um, we, uh, I mean, increasingly, I think we're understanding this, but we don't need to design the object, right? We we're designing, we're designing something that serves us in some way. So the mug example is like, I don't need this like ceramic cylinder with a handle. I need a way to drink coffee. Right. And in that you can like kind of keep, keep stepping back, like get almost bigger and bigger with your, with your function. All right. Well, what's the function of coffee, right? Well, I need to wake up in the morning. All right. So do, do I need coffee or do I need to sleep more? Right. 
right? So do I even need to design a mug if we get enough sleep, right? And so you, if you, um, in, in the mug example is interesting because now we have all these like to go, all of our fancy to go mugs, right? And, or even like the, all of the sustainability design be, behind like coffee takeout things. Um, and I'm like a hundred, if you, somebody from a hundred years ago saw this artifact, they would be so confused, <laughs> right? And it's not because we didn't, we did drink coffee. However, there, you wouldn't walk down a sidewalk drinking it. You, like a civilized person, person. woke up in the morning, yes. drank a cup of coffee yeah. in your mug, right? Or if you were tired, yeah. you took a nap, right? Yeah. Or if in the afternoon you wanted to have a conversation, yeah. you would sit down at a table yeah. and drink coffee with yeah. someone, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, like how many steps back? Like, wait, so we keep kind of, because there's this like problem solving instinct yes. of like, ah, that's how the problem, yeah, yeah. Need, we need more to go mugs. It's like, yes. do we, or do we just need to like have a seven hour day and stop right. working, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, maybe we need to go splash our faces with water. Yeah. How, so, how did your students apply name by function? Like, what kind of things did they come up with? Name by function relates to all of all of design, and the the examples we see this in a lot with kind of service design now, right? So we used to so music as an example. We used to design beautiful. Uh, uh, what was the original one with the the, the big phonograph, right? Um, or even, so we had record players and then we had CD players and we had CDs and CD, and then we, or I guess I skipped the, um, the, 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 the cassette or the CD. What are those things oh, called? The I even had them vinyl in Vinyl record? Oh, in your car. The, it doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> so, and then we had cassettes, right? right? So, um, and now, but, but all of, and all of that, like the function was to listen to music, right? And so, you know, you could say like, oh, well, what if you just have a band next door? What if you sing, right? But it's like, okay, well now at some point we were like, yeah, we don't want a cassette. We maybe, I mean, some people do, right? We have like these, like the fetishists of yeah, these yeah, things because yeah. they are beautiful objects yeah. and it is mm -hmm. really, it is really different to sit down and listen to a record. But for the most part, and in the service design industry, we now have all of these different platforms to listen to music, right? So in that way, Spotify is the new record player, right? So, so we're not designing, and we wouldn't have gotten there if we just kept designing a oh, record player, right? Ooh, and that's in the a same good way, one. <laughs> yeah, you could say the same thing with so many things. Like, I mean, telephones, right? So, telephones, we we like uh, in a way, like an email, or now maybe a text or a Slack thread is the same thing as a carrier pigeon, right? right? <laughs> or yes. a, or a, the you know, the, the guy on the horse bringing the mail. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So in this way, like an, and a carrier pigeon and smoke signals and an email are the right. same thing right. when it's named by function. Right. Interesting. So okay. it's just like kind of just unpacking, like what are we, what are we really after? And, and even with, we can, we can then work backwards because with our, with pocket computers, which is what I like to call our smartphones, it's, it's really not a phone. I don't, talk on the phone, right? I use it for, I use it for communicating, but uh, most people I think also use it for entertainment 
we use it to stay connected with family and friends. So that's like a different, like we have these emotional attachments. Um, people use it to like track their health. For a lot of people, it's a medical device, right? This like tells me what my blood sugar is doing and if I'm going to die in 10 minutes. Right. So <laughs> okay. we couldn't have gotten to this if we just kept designing design or we kept phone. innovating phones. Oh, right? that's so good. Yeah. No, that's so smart. It really like you can kind of work both directions. Um, but then and, have you ever like interviewed kids to find out like what they want? Is that something that you do sometimes? Or, oh, or, totally. Yeah. 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 Especially with rigamajig. Cause I, I'm, I'm around, I, I spend a lot of time like in either in classrooms or in, uh, organizations that, that have it. Um, and, and I, I try to be kind of a parallel player, um, and, and it's hard, which is hard for me because I want to give them a chance to figure out like lateral stability. So oftentimes with rigamajig, there'll be one, there'll be, you know, a few friends playing or a few, maybe they're friends, maybe they're just, they just met helping each other, <laughs> but one of them will wind up holding this like four foot plank up while everybody else is building onto it. And at some point they're like, you know, come on, I want to like, why am I just standing here only? So they're trying to figure out and then they can go. So they'll kind of give it a kickstand and they'll kind of, and, and I want it like, I'm like lateral stability, lateral stability, get the oh, crack, get the crack. So and great. eventually, and, and it's hard for me to hold back, but I, I do long and then they connect, they figure out, oh, I'm going to connect a bracket and then another plank along the floor. Oh, that's amazing. Voila. They just You've made an industrial designer. So, yeah, lateral stability. <laughs> done. Yeah. And, and if I had shown them, they wouldn't have gone through all the other things that they now know might work for something else later. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I think that that I, I, I learn a lot, not just about kids, but I learn a lot about what other opportunities they could use. Right. Like I what else can I what other parts like are they? going to be able to explore with. Oh, so good. All right. All right. I know I'm going to wrap up very soon. I promise. It's just, it's so good. Um, That's okay. So, okay. There are two, two more big points I want to make. So one is, I know you're, you keep up on emerging technologies for uh, small batch manufacturing so that you can mm-hmm. hopefully do that more affordably and reach more kids. So are, is there anything that you would like to share that might be something that's emerging and new that you think um, people with small toy companies might want to know mm-hmm. about? Um, gosh. Maybe, you know, I would just say some advice with trying to work with um, domestic manufacturers. I think it's it's been, I mean, it's a little bit different now. And I think we're going to be in a strange state of globalization with COVID. But um, the, I see a lot of, especially in toys, that, that they'll kind of just go right to a sourcing agent uh, overseas. Um, which often is the only way to make a thing because of cost. But I, I always start with uh, doing an outreach in the U S which when I can get someone to work for me and, and, you know, because I'm, I'm not a big company. It's usually kind of a weird thing, but when I can find a factory that, that like, you know, is interested and takes the job, it's great. And, and oftentimes actually significantly less money than, you know, flying back and forth and dealing with quality control and all of the complications of that. Um, but I would say just advice for, for that. Um, the, 
the bringing in some, like the more you can show them. So having a 3D printed part or making a prototype out of wood and, you know, bringing them all of that and having the drawings and the photos and, and kind of getting, telling them more about like the, the more they can already see it, the less work they kind of have to do in order to take the project on. And, um, and so that's made a really big difference for me. And that took me a while to kind of learn, I, you know, I, I assumed if I went to somebody with an injection mold, you know, job, they would be like, great, we're an injection molder, we'll do it. But they, it's, it's, it's tricky. And it's, there's a lot of setup and time and kind of relationship building. So that part, that's something that as a manufacturer, I, um, I now like value quite a bit, especially as a small company, because I'm, you know, I'm never their biggest order. I'm, I'm kind of a little thing that maybe they make some money on, but you know, it's definitely not um, and there are a lot of, of domestic companies who, um, who are using alternative energy sources and, and some, even some injection molding factories that are having zero carbon footprints. And, um, so that I think is, is worth trying. I feel like we've, there's a tendency to not even try because there's the assumption that manufacturing in the U S is too hard or not. It's too expensive or not possible, but it is, it's, it's just, a, it's going to take a little, take a little more work. Interesting. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. And I also, I would love, um, just to hear what you feel set you up to, um, launch heroes will rise because I know, um, starting your own company, especially a toy company can feel overwhelming. People may think, Oh, I'll never do that. But I'm just yeah. curious to hear if maybe that you look back now and you see there were key points in your life that were kind of like leading you to be ready to take on something like this. Uh, no, <laughs> no, yeah. really? No, I, I mean, I, uh, from the design perspective, absolutely. Really? Um, and I think I talked about that. I only say no because, and I, um, the a business, starting a business, it's like, and I got all of the like starting a business for dummies and, <laughs> and the toy and game inventors handbook, which, which was actually really useful, even though most of it kind of didn't apply, but mm-hmm. a lot of the patent stuff was too, but so for me, um, why'd you do it I, then? Well, well, um, for me, my business is a, is a way to get quality toys that children need onto the market. Um, and, and, um, yeah, so, and and increasingly even, you know, like I said, in that, that, um, I may, it it has been important to be able to control how it's sold, you know, like that, that our photos and especially these are building toys. So like Mm -hmm. I get a lot of like, Oh, boys must love this. You know? And, (laughs) and I'm like, well, so, you know, I'm very, because I run everything, I'm like intentional about the photos in our pamphlets and on our websites are like young black girls. Yeah, I know. I saw they're black girls. Like that's no accident. These are are good. It should because they play with it and they benefit from it. And so there's, um, you know, I, that's all I think for me, part of what it, what I'm able to do. And I, frankly, large corporations are also able to do, they just, they just don't, don't want to, you know, no, cause it's or not maybe gonna, they yeah. think they can't because they don't want it. I don't, who knows? I yeah. those are <laughs> sorry, old tired excuses. So, um, so for me, I think, uh, 
yeah, maybe I, I, I have larger objectives that, that I see there, there being an in, a potential influence in, in a lot of the other things that go along with the kind of the product itself. And that, that, um, that in, in being able to control that a lot of it's made in the U.S., that, you know, even when we use plastic, it's recycled, that um, we, uh, we, we talk, we are, we stubbornly like talk about the importance of no instructions and (laughs) girls that have like girls and boys and everybody in between like to build things and, you know, um, and like to create things and they can, they can make giant heavy things and handle Mm -hmm. it and they can use real tools. So, so all of that I think is part of what I get to do because I'm, I am the company. So, but starting the company, the, the, I think my advice would be, and like I said, I got all of the books and kept thinking like, you know, <laughs> running a business, like what, how, how like, how do I, it's gotta be easy. There's, that's the like, you know, easy part, but yeah. it's, it's actually quite creative. And I, I don't think I realized how, you know, the way you set up your business um, can also be, and often has to be creative because, Mm. you know, how we decide to market the toy and especially with with Rigamajig, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of a learning material, but in the, when a school goes to their learning material spreadsheet, you know, they have pencils and paper, like that's learning materials. And then there's this giant light item of Rigamajig, right? It's not quite a (laughs) playground. So we've had to be creative about how to help people understand where it fits in. I love that you're making the effort like that. I think that's going to make all the difference and hopefully it'll make a change, a wave of change in the toy industry. So my final question for you, if you could take a magic wand and go to the toy aisle and change it into anything, (laughs) you Mm. know, the traditional toy aisle, what would you like, like it to be? What would you like to see? Um, more, less plastic. Uh, I would like it to be kind of, one aisle that might be based on like play types of play rather like if it had to be categorized it would be like gross motor skills imaginative play um pretend play like costumes absolutely no gender right so the 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 fairy princess stuff might still be there but it would be for boys and for girls um and um i mean that's the biggest thing i think Cause you know, and, and it's, uh, in, in my stuff, it's, I think a little bit more visible because this, like I said, like the, like rigamajig people are, Oh boys. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like if I was inspired to design a doll, I would want to make sure that boys could play with it, mm-hmm. which I would argue boys do play with dolls. They're yeah. just shaped like little he-men instead right. of like, like, <laughs> yes. like you know, it's the same it's the thing. Same Why thing. Do we, it's the same yeah. thing. Oh, so, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think that this you. was really enlightening. I'm really excited to share this episode. Do you have anything? Oh, any announcements you want to make? Any final, would you like people to follow you on your socials or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, um, uh, we're starting to post more on, uh, Rigamajig Instagram. Okay. And on my Instagram, I, I, I don't post a lot, but I post whenever something's, there's a talk or an event or something coming up that's exciting. And that's at Cass Holman? Uh, at Cass Holman and okay. the other one is uh, at Rigamajig Toy. Okay. 
And I think I would say like on Facebook, there are, Facebook has become a great resource for teachers and mm-hmm. children's museum directors to see what's happening with Rigamajig. So that's been a great place for people to, to look and, and see, you know, everybody else's photos of stuff. And then of course, like on the website, we have all kinds of play prompts and, you know, suggestions for how to use it in the classroom and, yeah. Um, resources and helpful videos for people getting started or trying to kind of do something specific with rigamajig. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll check it all out. And I'm going to put all of the links to the show notes, anything you want me to put in the show notes, just send it to me and I'll. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on the show you. today, this Cass, for hanging fun. out. Yeah. I look forward really to keeping fun. in touch. Yes, <laughs> me too. Well, there you have it. My interview with Cass Holman. What I love about Cass's story is that she didn't start off in the toy industry at all. And I know these days it can seem like you really need to find your passion at a young age to fully realize your potential and become an expert in it. We see kids starting toy companies, you know, with their parents at the age of 12. But I hope you found inspiration and comfort in Cass's story as she lived many lives before beginning her toy career, including a life as an adventurous um, person helping a scientist catch iguanas in the Galapagos Islands to working as a short order cook for many years. Now, what I really, really want you to take away from this episode, what I want you to learn is that there are many aspects to the toy industry for you to fit your product into. Now, I know that in this podcast, I tend to really focus on mass, I tend to really focus on mass market toys and specialty toys, but I rarely have the opportunity to dive into the world of designer toys with you. And there's a whole world out there of designer toys, and Cass's product stands out within that world as kind of interactive and experiential and almost teeters the line between being a designer toy and fine art. So if you have ever felt not quite at home in the standard toy market and mass market and in specialty, I just want you to know that if your product doesn't seem to be a perfect fit for these retailers. You might want to look beyond the toy aisles and imagine your toys being sold at other outlets like museums. Now, I love seeing how many non-toy people are inspired to join the industry due to this podcast, but it would break my heart if you came into this industry and allowed it to change you instead of you changing it. So I want this conversation with Cass today to inspire you to be uniquely you, forge your own path in toys, and commit to bringing your toy ideas to life in the way that you see them being the most beneficial for the development of children and not just the toy market. Now, one of my favorite lines today that I really want you to take with you um, from Cass is design with respect. So I want you to keep that in mind. We're designing for children, but that doesn't mean that we can't design with respect. 
Now it's time again for another listener spotlight, my favorite part of the show, and I hope it's yours too. Today, I'm going to read a review from a listener who I just virtually met online, and she actually just joined the Making It in the Toy Industry podcast Facebook Facebook group. And she actually just joined the Making It in the Toy Industry podcast Facebook group this weekend, and her name is Pearly Sprinkles. Well, that's her. Her username is Pearly Sprinkles. Pearly says, invaluable. As a cakepreneur turned toypreneur, I cannot rate Agel's advice highly enough. She is literally answering the questions I've been asking during this startup period that I'm in. I'm so happy to help you, Pearly, and to be there for you and answering all your questions. And I hope that this podcast continues to bring value to you and so many other listeners. As always, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there that you could listen to, and it means the world to me that you tune into this one. Until next week, I'll see you later, toy people. Thanks for listening to Making It in the Toy Industry podcast with Ajel Wade. Head over to thetoycoach.com for more information, tips, and advice. Hey, are you an aspiring toy inventor or toy entrepreneur? Then you should check out Toy Creators Academy, the first of its kind online program designed to help you develop and pitch your toy ideas. Head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn more.